Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matt Penny, a.k.a. Ben, is in the building. <laughs> What's going on, Ben? Ah, uh, Ben's here. I'm I'm doing great. I'm I'm still kind of humming the the one shining moment song in my head from last night, which is always the official end to the college basketball season for me. I'm happy. I'm even elated that the season happened with everything else going on around us. But still, a little bittersweet in the sense that the year is over. And we talked about earlier. It's now time to transition to speculation of old game tapes and developing some new hot takes as we go. And team building, because we're going to talk about the transfer portal as well today. And college team building has turned into like a real thing, just like NBA team building is now because of the transfer portal. So I think it's going to be really, really fun. Um, We're obviously going to talk about the Final Four today. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the prospects in the Final Four. We're going to talk about draft declarations that we've seen. We're not going to spend like a crazy amount of time on them, just a little bit. And frankly... They're coming so fast and furious right now that we're going to miss some of them in all likelihood. Uh, By the time that this podcast gets posted, there have probably been three other players that have declared for the draft. All power to them. We love it. But we're going to run through some of the interesting choices. And then we're going to talk, like I said, a little bit about the portal. And we'll finish up with some, uh, some Matt Penny recruiting stories and movie thoughts. So, okay. Do you want to just start on the title game? Do you want to talk about the Final Four with UCLA and Gonzaga um, and obviously Baylor just like demolishing Houston? Uh, Where where do you want to start (laughs) here, Ben? Yeah, which segment of the buzzsaw do you want to begin with? Why don't we do the the earlier games? Why don't don't we include a little bit of UCLA so we can give those guys some love too? Yeah, let's do it. So let's just knock out Baylor-Houston. So that was a boat race from minute one basically uh davion mitchell played one of the better prospect games i think i can remember from this season 12 points 11 assists zero turnovers and just played hyper elite defense uh out front for baylor to set the tone they were up 45 to 20 at halftime if i remember correctly uh houston's defensive scheme like First and foremost, let's just give like Scott Drew his flowers now. Uh, Scott Drew, Jerome Tang, Alvin Brooks, John Jacobs, that entire Baylor staff. They were incredible this entire Final Four in terms of creating a game plan that made sense against what both Houston and Gonzaga were doing with Houston. Houston plays this hyper-aggressive swarming style of defense and passes like that cross corner kick were open constantly against Houston because Houston, if Davion Mitchell gets any sort of penetration, if he gets one foot in the paint, they're going to collapse to him. So every time the Davion Mitchell got a foot in the paint, it was going cross corner kick. It was going, you know, same side wing kick if it was a collapse there. And that's how he ended up. I think he had seven or eight assists in the first half, even, uh, of that game. And then against Gonzaga, which, you know, we'll talk about later on, but uh, really took advantage of Gonzaga switching early on in that game. But we'll, we'll talk about that more in a second here. 
I was remarkably impressed with Davion Mitchell in that game. Uh, Jared Butler played well for seemingly the first time like in the NCAA tournament. Uh, he picked a great time to get rolling. Uh, what were your thoughts on Baylor-Houston before we move into the big one? Yeah, before the big guy. I think that Davion Mitchell is such an annoying defender. I mean that in the highest respect regard. He, he just forces players into bad shots even when they make it. And one of the announcers of the game in the, the first Final Four game said, don't take it personally. And it's so true. I mean, he had back taps for steals. He reached in. He slid, slid his feet and cut his man off. Charges, flops. You don't know what you're really going to get out of those guys offensively when he's playing like that. DeJon Giroux was riding some a hot streak for Houston into the tournament. He used his length to score a little bit. And then you look at the box score. He's 3 for 10 with 6 points and 5 turnovers. Those are the type of games that Davion Mitchell can force you into having. Agreed with you how good he was offensively. Zero turnovers against a team in Houston that wants to speed you up and make bad decisions is semi-incredible. And the game really was over by halftime, and it was how much can this deficit be cut into. And there was no looking back. Jared Butler was great, 17 points, 6 of 9 shooting, 4 for 8 from 3. A guy that just never seems really sped up, even when he was trapped. He was under control, he was composed, and without Marcus Sasser having 17 points in the first half, that game could have been way worse, which is crazy to say. Yeah, I kind of thought that it was a 25-point halftime lead, and I thought that was underselling it, it felt like. Oh, I mean, had 17, the rest of the team had three. It was unbelievable, and Sasser made like two tough threes. Yeah, this, yeah, he did. He did. This game yeah. was uh, done very quickly. Uh, we also had the Matthew Mayer game in this one. He had a good first half. I think he ended up with like thirteen or so. Um, nothing particularly impressive to me, and in fact, like in the second half was at fault for Houston getting even like a little bit of a sniff with his like poor defense. Like there was a stretch where in his first stint, he had a really bad double team choice that ended up with a basket right at the rim by Justin Gorham. If I remember correctly, Uh, got burned in a switch against Sasser, just like totally blown by. And then like gambled once and gave up an open shot there. Like it was like the numbers look fine for Mayor, but the performance was not quite what you would hope. I, I really hope he strongly considers staying at Baylor because I don't see it with him uh, as an NBA player. Are you there with Matthew Mayer? I'm there with where you are. He is a momentum changer. And in that game, they subbed and, and also credit to the Baylor staff. Like you said, they, they went small. Yep. with him and uh, Everyday John. Uh, and he immediately scored a basket. It was a three on the next play. It was a quick 7 to nothing run. And then he settled in a little bit. And, and he was fine in the national championship game. It really wasn't his game either. So right. I, I'm, I'm co-signing the let's go back to school and try to run this thing back with a little bit different personnel and be able to showcase what he does with reeling it in a little bit with some of the craziness offensively. Yeah, and like I'm not saying I'm not interested in him long term. He's six foot nine in shoots 40% from three and I think that's like a very legit 40% from three but if you go back through recent history these guys that are just like power forward shooters or just center shooters they don't have as much success as you would think Um, they need to have more well-rounded games in order to make an impact and his game is not there yet Um, and he'll get to like run the show at Baylor next year with Flagler in all likelihood so please like go back Matthew Mayer Um, 
Anything else on Houston before we move? Like Houston just was kind of overwhelmed from the jump in this game. They were overwhelmed and people had kind of then started to point right away to their path to the Final Four. They had all these double-digit seeds they were playing. There's nothing they can do about that. Unbelievable season. The the Houston redemption complete with all those guys and transfers and they clicked at the right time. But unfortunately, they played a team that was clicking a lot harder. Yeah, Quinn Grimes and Dejan Giroux did not play super well in that game. Uh, showed their limitations, I would say, as prospects, which we expected, right? Like, we knew that they were limited prospects. It's not the worst thing in the world, necessarily. It's just uh, they're going to have to fight for a place in the NBA, we'll say. Uh, let's let's go to UCLA-Gonzaga. And this is obviously going to be known as the Jalen Suggs game for a number of reasons. I think he ended up with what, like 15 points, six rebounds, five assists, something like that. Yeah, but 16, six and five. Makes the 37 foot buzzer beater to win. Has that unbelievable block, like from behind on Cody Riley leading into a ridiculous, like, whipped bounce pass what what do we want to say that traveled like 25 30 feet itself yeah it was what pretty much free throw line free throw line a little bit yeah maybe maybe a little bit less than that um but something like that and hits drew timmy right in stride drew timmy dunks it does the stash celebration uh (laughs) and then well i'm trying to trying to think did he do anything else uh beyond that like he made a couple threes like he had a couple drives and finishes like with power missed a couple of layups as well but overall th- this game is going to re- be remembered for Jalen Suggs and it's bummer because UCLA was great and we're going to have to have a real conversation after Suggs about Johnny Juzang but l- let's talk about uh, Jalen Suggs here real quick D- did that did that game sway you in any way no because I I, I have Suggs too it, it more reinforced what I was thinking my mindset with two minutes and 30 seconds left in the game it becomes takeover time and i've always said that for prospects that you're in draft that highly should have that that gene that switch where it's time to get a basket it's time to change the game and he can do it so he scored right there on like a short fadeaway and the the sequence from the tournament that we're going to remember obviously you're going to remember the shot him jumping on the table and pure mayhem jubilation but the play when he was screened he got hit for a ball screen so number one he's hit with the ball screen sometimes guards just die there they just they, you get hit you fall over whatever the guy rolls you hope somebody picks him up he recovers on cody riley who's rolling the roll man blocks the shot at the rim recovers the ball and still advances it for a, a timmy dunk and that sequence that string of plays was so high level and <laughs> we're becoming a parody of ourselves man i am we joke about it, but that really was like a defensive back with an interception for a, a pick six touchdown. Like the, the terminology that some coaches use on, on bad plays can be turnovers for touchdowns. When you let up a, a big turnover and the other team goes down the other end and scores and it's a momentum shift, that's a, exactly what that was to me. And he made big plays. You said the numbers, 16, 6, and 5. They're not huge, but all of them felt really impactful throughout the game. Yeah, they did. They all came like right at the right point. Like, right when Gonzaga needed something, he did it. And, yeah, like, overall, his numbers weren't the most... He Like, Drew Timmy was the most productive player in that game, right? Like, they kept yes. 
just hitting him on rolls. They finished at the basket at a tremendous clip in that game. Um, I think Timmy had like 23 and nine, if I remember correctly. But overall, like it, this felt like a game that Jalen Suggs was always going to win. Like, there, was there ever a point when you thought Jalen Suggs was not going to like lead Gonzaga? to a win because the the only point where i thought it was i thought there was a chance that johnny juzang was going to go for the win uh on that final possession and just shoot a buzzer beater for ucla to try and a buzzer beating three to win it and i was like okay this is now like a legit 35 percent chance that ucla wins this game right now without (laughs) gonzaga getting the ball back yeah the the block charge call feels a little forgotten already because of the way the game ended but that would have been a, a big change you, Gonzaga, you know what though like here's here's the thing here's the real reason please, why Jalen please, Suggs, please say you're okay with it and <laughs> and like we're gonna bury the the ghost of the goat the block charge uh anger we have for the season well the reason that Jalen Suggs well, the reason I'm okay with it is the reason Jalen Suggs was not particularly productive in that game in terms of like his long his overall numbers, right? Was he got hit for two bullshit fouls early, you know, running into Tiger Campbell because Tiger Campbell decided to stand there and hold his nuts defensively and not do anything, right? Like Tiger, very smart player, knows that the officials are dumb enough to fall for this shit. So gets Jalen Suggs in foul trouble. Like good work. Or was it who, who was it? Was it Suggs? It, or no, it was Timmy. Who was it? It was someone. Who got in foul trouble? Yeah. I don't know if have to look back through my notes. I think it was sucks. But um, if you're going to call it early in the game, like they did with Tiger. Yeah, right. You got to keep consistent. Right. You're right. You have to call it late. Yeah. So it was on Suggs. It was was, that. Yeah. It absolutely was on Suggs against Tiger. So look, like at the end of the day, I think you kind of got to call that charge with Johnny Juzang running into Timmy because you have to keep it consistent. Like, I don't know, man. Like, it, it sucks. The whole thing sucks, I think. Yeah, I, I actually wasn't. I thought the internet would explode when it happened. It was like just a, a minor eruption. I thought it'd be a little bit crazier. It, the bigger thing that stood out to me was Gonzaga's won all these games by double digits throughout the tournament, throughout the season. And there was no panic after the jumper. And they inbounded to Suggs. And it was almost like you, I felt it was going to happen. It was still surprising when he left his hand at one end. I, I had this immediate pause like, oh, I don't know if you got it off. But it, it, again, it wasn't close. Like it was off the glass. But when he released it off his hand, you thought it was going in. I liked. I know he's the point guard. He's supposed to go back to the ball anyway. But as soon as it went in, he didn't hesitate. He took it just yep. over half court and launched it for the win. It, it wasn't a panic situation. Do I dribble handoff? Do I do I drive late and try to pump fake? And no, I'm pulling up from here. I'm hitting it, and we're we're going to the national championship game. And he knew it. Like right off the hand. Like our, our friend that we're in a group text with. Um, like called it immediately he was like he knew that that was in yeah and i, th- I think he did too because he started he started to do like the tiger woods like follow it move you know what i mean like <laughs> crouch down a little bit yeah yeah we we used to see tiger just like follow his putts into the hole uh yeah jalen suggs was following that shit like he was like okay this is going this is going and as soon as it went he just sprinted to the table that was amazing um and, and, and so de- so deflating for ucla too because they played I would argue as perfect a game that you could shoot whatever 58, 60% of the field and still lose. It's, it's wild. I mean, they, UCLA shot 58% and 47% from three and they lost. Totally. Um, let's talk about UCLA. So UCLA, a, I want to talk about Mick Cronin and his coaching staff. 
doing just a phenomenal job of understanding how to take advantage of Gonzaga. They just attacked in ball screens the entire time. They attacked Drew Timmy. They attacked Anton Watson every single play. Um, there were a lot of plays where they tried to isolate uh, after a switch with Johnny Juzang and Jaime Jaquez just onto whoever was guarding them, be it Timmy, be it Anton Watson, or be it like one of the, like Andrew Nemhart or something like that. They were trying to isolate those guys onto the matchups that they wanted, which largely were going away from Jalen Suggs and Joel Ayayi. They did a really, really good job of getting those matchups and being able to stick with Gonzaga because of it. Now, like, look, we should talk about the fact that UCLA, I think the final number per Bart Torvik was something like 18 of 25 from like mid-range jumpers, which was the best NCAA tournament performance in the last, I think, 10 NCAA tournaments. So there was some shooting luck here uh, that you're just not going to have all the time. Like sometimes the shots are just not going to fall at that unbelievable ridiculous level because that's just like insane to shoot that level over that number of attempts um that most of them were contested as well like just totally ridiculous um so i I felt like gonzaga pretty comfortably outplayed ucla in that game if we're gonna be honest with it but ucla made the shots they got the matchups they wanted they really did a good job of using juzang as a screener as well in order to get some of those matchups i thought that was really impressive and i think that that leads into this Johnny Juzang conversation where I'll be honest, like I don't really know what to do with him now because we talk about the Malachi effect and we talk about it kind of as a joke and not wanting to overreact. I mean, Johnny Juzang, I think averaged 19 points over his last 17 games. He's a six, six wing shooter. Like when I talk to NBA people about him, I think they're still even a little bit hesitant because a they tend to be a little bit later on guys because they're smart and they don't need to be first they just need to be right and that's always kind of how i've done my job like i don't really care if i was the first evaluator to point out oh my god john morant this kid at murray state is a freshman is amazing right um right i just want to be right because that's all that really matters at the end of the day um johnny juzang i can't figure out is he actually an nba wing shooter i think he is and i think he's like a top 50 guy for me but i would be fascinated to hear where you are on this because i'm not entirely sure what to do and uh, so i had like five bullets of notes and the fifth was what do we do with him because he is six foot six he can create his own shots too and and yep. just to kind of if you're not first you're last to circle back to our, our movie motifs here he was still 44 percent from the field 35 percent from three for the season 1.6 assists to 1.6 turnover so th- there are kind of some imbalances here that aren't really totally discussed but you can't totally block yourself out to either 29 points on 12 of 18 shooting and kept him in that game he is in the 90th percentile per synergy in jumpers off the dribble and that game, he sized guys up. He hit setbacks. He hit pull-ups. He bumped and finished around the basket. He was kind of scoring almost how he wanted in many different ways. It wasn't like there was a, a ton of action and he, he was isolated and it was because of three screens. There are plenty of times where he was going on his own. And, and we can draw it up to luck, but he has been a, a really good mid-range pull-up shooter this season off the bounce. The, the Malachi effect theory of the surging prospect that we said not to do, but we're doing, 
I had a conversation earlier today about it. Is it really a Malachi effect, Malachi theory thing if I want to say you had him at like 60 or, or that range? If he goes to there and jumps up to like 45 on your board, I don't think that's astronomical. You're not saying Johnny Juzang has to be 18th in the draft. We can recognize what he did. We can respect the run he had in the tournament and, and what they've been able to piece together, but also not lose our minds and talk about him with a first-round guarantee or something like that. So, yeah, and I think that that's right. For what it's worth, though, like the person that this theory is named after is Malachi Richardson at Syracuse, right? Led <laughs> yes, Syracuse yeah, to a who, Final who, Four. Who did the same thing. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> I was very slow on him. Like, I, I, I understood the tools. In his five games of the NCAA tournament, Malachi Richardson averaged 15 points on 35% from the field, 37% from three, and 80% from the line. Hold on, hold on, hold on. But they were also, uh, now that it's getting deeper and now the conspiracy theory stuff is starting to filter in my head, they were a first four to final four team too, right? Yes, yes, they game. Oh, this is bad. This is bad. (laughs) Johnny Juzang. Dots in real time. Oh, gosh. 23 points, 51% from the field, 38% from three, 78 from the line. I mean, if, if we're aren't we looking learning, for- though, aren't, aren't, aren't we saying like we're not going to do that? Aren't we saying he's not going to go? I will, but 20th? like, but you know what? Like his last 17 games. So this is like since the end of January, 19 points, 1.7 assists, 1.9 turnovers. Those numbers are bad, but five rebounds, 46% from the field, 37% from the three, 86 from the line. Like. This isn't with Johnny. It's still like a 17 game sample, right? So we don't want to overreact sure. to that. But it's not just an NCAA tournament performance either. Like he was really, really good for them and is a big part of the reason why they started to make a push late in the season. Um, I will also just note that like a few of his bigger games came in losses. Like Stanford. He had 27 points in overtime, lost. UCL, or uh, who was it? It was Washington State, I believe. Uh, Washington State, 25 points in a loss that never should really happen. 25 points in a loss to Colorado. Um, he had some big regular season games in moments where, you know, ultimately they were defeated. So how much do we weigh that versus weighing the NCAA tournament where he carried them on a run? Um I don't know what to do with him. Like, I'll, I'll be frank. I kind of think he should leave. If only because Ooh, okay. I, I mean, like, I, I don't see does it. Get getting, be, does he get better than this? Yeah, right. Yeah. Unless I mean, he like, wants to he, chase a championship, which is fine, which which a lot of the, the totally. Baylor guys want to do. And Jared Butler said, we're going to get the band back together. We're going to chase it. We're number one. COVID hit. And, and we have to put the pieces back together. From a stock perspective, from an individual scoring and performance perspective you don't know if you're able to replicate that it's a hard thing and the other thing with him he's coming off of averaging 23 in six tournament games he's not going to do that next year because ucla has peyton watson coming in they still likely have jaime jaquez like this roster is getting loaded again next year um from a pure stock perspective i do not know how it gets higher for johnny juzang i guess than what he just did um following the transfer too yeah like he's i mean he's not gonna do that but um, no 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 no. i'm saying like he he was at kentucky i don't want to say people wrote him off but he was he was looking to get closer to home clearly the fit has worked at ucla 
I'm saying right. that from the jump in his stock can't go from there to where we are now, and, and then another big one again. He could be a guy we talk about. I don't know when when a guy start up again in October of maybe a, a first round ish guy. I don't foresee us saying he's preseason 11th overall maybe he is a, a guy shooter with size in the 40s the couple nba guys i spoke to the last few days echoed that he's he has probably a fit in the second round because of the shooting because of the creation he's able to do at his own at six foot six are we sure he doesn't go in the first round no i'm not sure i yeah I, we were talking beforehand and i'm doing my own personal board not the the personal board for satire did on twitter which people are losing their minds about but like an actual board uh and from one to five six great from 12 to 30 great those guys got to bump up and, and someone's going to take those late first round picks could happen if you have other shooters kind of slide up and there's question marks about guys later could happen i don't know if i'd feel great about it in the first round but i'm not ruling it out either okay rapid fire gun to your head you have to take Johnny Juzang or this guy, basically. Cam Thomas. Am I saying like this is for a specific team or if I was drafting? If you were just drafting. I'm going to try and pick like semi-like for like players. I'd like like Juzang's fit better because I just question the the volume from Cam Thomas. I agree with that, actually. This is Um, stupid. I might kill for this. Okay, keep going. I might rather take... Like, I think that that's really close to me. Um, yeah, I think Cam's right, a little bit better right. off the bounce, but, um, and like has maybe a bit more of a scoring gene, but Johnny might fit a little bit better as like a role player yeah. kind of guy. Yeah, two, three with size. Yeah. Right. Uh, BJ Boston. Oh, I'm taking Juzang. Uh, I'm whispering more and more because <laughs> I didn't anticipate this. I'm a, I'm a guy that preps, and this is rapid fire. I'm on the dunk tank, and you're throwing balls at the, at the buzzer. I'm trying to like hold on for dear life. Marcus Bagley. Mm, that's a tough one because Marcus played what twelve games this year. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. He twelve games. Team went four and eight. Man, I might take a flyer on Bagley. Okay. Um, He's six eight shooter. I mean the the numbers for Juzang were obviously better. I think Bagley's a better athlete that he he showed at Arizona State. Josh Christopher. Mm. I, I, I'll go with Josh Christopher over there, despite me being kind of unenthused with, with how it ended. Uh, Terrence Shannon. I'm going to TJ Shannon there. Okay. So, yeah, you're more in the, like, you just don't like Cam Thomas, basically. But um, <laughs> well, you're I, more... I, just, I, I like Cam Thomas. He, he's just a volume guy who probably is more point guardish size from a frame perspective where he's yeah. at his best taking 18 shots a game. I don't think that that's going to happen in the NBA, that's all. Okay, and then David Duke? No, I'm on Juzang over him. Yeah, I agree. And then um, Joe Wieskamp. Oh, difficult one. That's that's actually, I, that might be the best A or B pick your mystery door. Right. Before the tournament, I would have said Wieskamp without hesitation. This at least gets it closer. I think I'm probably still Wieskamp. Okay. I think I would take Juzang over Wieskamp for whatever. It's close. That That's a... Uh, that's an afternoon of yelling at each other and watching clips, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay, last guy, Austin Reeves. Oh, I'm taking Juzang over Reeves. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're somewhere in the 40 to 55 range, I would say. Okay, that's fine. That, that's kind of yeah. where I thought. Um, and then, like, we're definitely taking him over Isaiah Livers. We're taking him over Tavion Kinsey. Um, take him over Dejon Giroux. Yeah, I like, think Kinsey said he's going back. So he's out. 
Okay, cool. That's that makes my life easier. Exactly. Um, yeah, one less guy. Definitely taking him like over Oshai Abaji. Um, like, yeah, like, so, I'm a little higher on Abaji, but yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, so like somewhere he would get drafted. I think if he wanted, like he would 100% get a two way, and he would definitely get drafted. I think is where we're at. Yes. Okay. That's good. That's that's great. So let's go. Do you have any Jaime Hawkes thoughts, by the way, before we move out of this unbelievable game? We we did a lot of Jaime Hawkes stuff last pod. He seemed engaged early. He was driving, hitting tough shots. Had 19 points on 6-12 shooting, but this will forever, despite the loss, be the Johnny Juzang game. Okay. I sneaky... I think my like wildest take is I might like Jaime Hawkes long-term a little bit more than Johnny Juzang, but... Don't uh, hate it. Yeah, Juzang like just would go higher right now. I think. Period. Yes. Um, I, I think that's more me having a take. Okay, let's do a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back to talk about the final. Okay, the final is here. What, what do we do with this final? Because it was out to 19 points, I think, within eight minutes or so, like 10 minutes. I think it was 33-14 very quickly. Uh, this was a beating, like multiple magnitudes beyond what we expected from a one versus two game, right? Uh, on one hand, I do think that there is something to Gonzaga came out a little bit flat because I think it's really hard to maintain the mental like engagedness that might be a word um, that it requires after such an emotional win. Um, that's not to say that, you know, they might've been a little bit more tired, but like that that's, you know, I, I think that it's hard to come back from such a emotional win. I think that's a part of it. Um, you know, you come into a game, you're riding high off of it, and then you get punched in the face, and it's like, whoa, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> right, right. I, I kind of think that happened a little bit. Um, number two, I fucking hated what Gonzaga did in terms of a game plan for this. <laughs> I read that through your, through your Twitter. I could tell that was coming, yeah. I hated it. Um, you have Drew Timmy and Corey Kispert as your four and your five, and then Anton Watson also is your five, and I know that they like Anton defensively, but he's not ready for this yet defensively um they switched most ball screen actions out front especially one through four oftentimes timmy ended up having to switch um they played like a bit of a hard hedge uh like it was it was everything that i wouldn't do against baylor because a hard hedge ends up resulting often in a scramble situation where you're kind of at the will of the other team boomeranging the ball back around the perimeter and probably getting an open three. And most college teams, let's be real about it, like aren't good enough to hit that open three, right? Baylor has four or five guys that are 40% three-point <laughs> yeah. shooters. You, you can't do right. that. Um, right. They're first if, in the country in, in team three-point percentage. Right. If you switch... Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, like Adam Flagler, Macy Oteague, these guys are just going to wreck you in switches. They're going to get right by you, get to the rim, or get to a kick out. Like, it's just going to happen. I hated 
hated what Gonzaga did uh, to start this game defensively, and I think that it is the biggest reason why they lost. There's something to coming out after that that huge win too, and I, I thought that Jalen Suggs seemed a little rattled early. He backrimmed that three, and it wasn't like a, a normal miss; it was kind of like a bad miss, like the the ball had no chance, which is pretty rare. He got that charge, then he's blocked the rim. He got his second foul pretty quick on a reach in, so that was an early. They were in a hole anyway, like that didn't help. And then he's on a bench for a while, and they suck him back in and went zone. Then Macy Oteague was in the middle, hitting short little jumpers. And even Drew Timmy, I mean, my, my wife's scout was, he just looked, he didn't get a good night's sleep. He just seemed a, a little tired, and the, the ball screen stuff definitely put him on an island. And, and then he was exposed with, I think, five turnovers in the post, and he had four fouls. So he didn't look like himself. And Gonzaga really needed him to, to do a little bit more when you're switching these screens and early there's a miscommunication and Davion Mitchell gets an open one and he gets one to get going. It's not curtains, but we're starting to talk about it. And, and that guy just needs one and then the, the light's really, really on for the rest of the game. I mean, they're, they were down 19 with 7.20 to play in the first half. Right. I, I didn't see that coming. I thought it would be a one to two possession game that maybe a little bit of separation with three to four minutes to play. Totally. So, did... <sighs> I don't even know that it's like worth diving further into like the breakdown of this. Like Gonzaga went zone. They're not a comfortable team playing zone. So eventually Baylor figured that out because they started flashing Maceo to the middle and Maceo Teague went on that. Like, was it a seven or nine point run all on his own? Uh, if I remember yeah, correctly, he, he, he hits the jumper. He does the, the hand motion to call, call God. Uh, right. He hit a couple of those. And, and once he does and, the hitch is limited when he's in the mid-range. It's, it's a lot cleaner release. Uh, they really were rolling at that point. Yeah, and then Gonzaga, you know, they started to go under a few ball screens here and there, but, you know, it, it by the end, I it was hard for me to tell what their strategy was on the Baylor ball screen actions because at one point they were, like, tagging with the high man. At one point, they weren't tagging. Uh, like period uh, at one point and like look this was probably mark throwing a lot of different stuff at the wall right it, it was all a strategy not you know a, an inconsistent strategy like the, there is no good choice for how to stop baylor out of a ball screen action because they're so good at shooting but yeah it, it was just hard for me to tell what the approach was I guess. Do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, their backs were against the wall too. And, and Coach yeah. Few said post game that they we were always the aggressive team all year. They were so aggressive that we were kind of. I think the line was something like running sideways. We weren't able to run our stuff, and that's probably oh, that's true. On, yeah, and it's both ends too. Like even yeah. defensively, though, they weren't able to match up, and they had changed things just to get Jalen Suggs back in the game as an offensive spark. So they had to use kind of everything they had in their playbook to even keep it within striking distance. And for Suggs, he did have that kind of bad stretch, but he did quietly, I don't know, i say it was ever a game, but semi-close. I mean, he had 22 points of 8 of 15 shooting. He had a couple baskets where you thought they might go on their run, but then Baylor just kept punching back every single time. Yeah, so... Let's talk prospects here. We talked a little bit about Mitchell in the previous segment here. I don't know that we need to dive deeper. Um, we'll talk about him kind of at the end. 
did Jared Butler like change anything for you? He had two really good Final Four games. Uh, was named Most Outstanding Player. I, I kind of thought that Jared Butler just was who he was the entire year uh, outside of the first few tournament games. He did. Uh, he got to his dribble moves a little bit quicker. He didn't settle for that initial jumper on switches like he does at times. That guy would switch, and if he had a big, he'd do like an inside-out dribble, hesitation, then pull up, and he hit a couple, got going, finished with 22-7-3. and three. I was impressed, but it didn't really sway me more so one way or the other. Just very consistent. Um, the guy that I think is probably most who, who had the biggest uh, biggest flaws kind of accentuated, I guess, is Corey Kispert, right? Uh, Kispert was not great in this game. He picked a terrible time to have his worst first 25 minutes is what I tweeted uh, of the season. The thing that was most concerning, though was he really struggled defensively like he had no chance defensively against some of these guys yeah i was i was worried about the athleticism just a little bit and how much of it was hid in the conference play in the wcc i mean even going backwards the game before he had difficulty fighting around those screens or locking trailing with jaime harquez and baylor gave him fits and when he even did get to the rim offensively he was punched with a couple exclamation point dunks too and i not that I didn't think he was going to go up and dunk on somebody, but I thought maybe he'd have a little bit of a floater or finish with an offhand. And his jumper, just everything seemed short. And if you're just looking at the box score and some clips, it wasn't terrible numbers. He had 12 points on 5 for 12 from the field and 2 for 7 for 3, but he just looked out of sorts. It, didn't, it wasn't the top 10 guy that we pushed up all year just because of it wasn't going to be a surprise what he gave you. It was going to be floor spacing, a little bit stuff off the bounce. Baylor was just hyper-aggressive, and, and even the shots he made were, were tough ones. Like, they were all over him all game long. Do we think, and look, like, I don't want to make excuses for him necessarily. Um, he played poorly. It is what it is. The way that every single jumper was off, I was, like, honestly kind of texting with someone, and I was like, do we think he's, like, not healthy? Because... It just didn't, the jumper just didn't even look as clean. You know what I mean? Right. Like it a little was, bit flat, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm I'm going to be interested to see if something comes out later. And, like, it probably won't because he's, like, all about, like, leadership and toughness and everything like that. But I, I don't know. That, that whole thing was weird to me, I thought. I thought it was very weird. That just he, that, can race, he can race all of it if he does the... I don't want to say Steph Curry slump, but you remember early in the year when, when Steph wasn't as hot, he released that video of him hitting 117 threes in a row. I think yeah. if Corey Kispert does one of those pre-drafts and leaks it out there, this will all kind of be forgotten a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I will say he changed my opinion of him a little bit. Like, look, I'm going to have him like borderline lottery, like something like that, like probably a top 15, 16 guy. But I mean, like I, I probably take Chris Duarte ahead of him now. I would say. Ooh, I love that. Spicy. Yeah. I <laughs> Some of the takes, I'm just, I'm afraid to really throw them out there. But again, on my real big board, I, I was juggling those two names and I had to double check the age. I think Kisper just yeah. turned 22 and, and yeah. our, our friend Chris Duarte would turn 24. So there is a, a little bit of an age discrepancy there, but it's not crazy. And athletically, Duarte is just a little bit more twitchy. Yeah. And I, like, I would still take Kispert over Franz Wagner um, because... 
I think that Kispert's ability to shoot is just like a cleaner fit in today's NBA than what Franz does on defense. Um, Franz is really good on defense, but if he can't shoot, it's just kind of hard for him. And, and there's just a little bit more inconsistency there than what I would like. And we know Corey's going to knock down 41% of his threes. Like, that just is who he is. Um, yeah, I'm going to be very interested to try and navigate that portion of my board. But yeah, he was not very good in the Final Four as a whole. Like, he got burned defensively way too often. And that's that, that, that rose alarm bells for NBA people that I talked to. I would say Um, Drew Timmy was not very good in this final either. I'll be honest. Like I didn't think he was great against UCLA. I know what the numbers say. I thought he did really well playing with four fouls and like continuing to contest and like stepping into that charge, for instance, late in the game. Um, And then scoring at the rim once I believe Cody Riley fouled out of that game, if I remember correctly. Um, it, was, it feels like so long ago now. Um, so he just kind of got like <laughs> easy, it, yeah. easier flow, easier traffic to the rim. Um, but I, I was not really a fan of what I saw from Timmy, to be honest. Like, I, I don't know what he does defensively. Yeah. He doesn't shoot right now. Like, he, he could not get that jump shot off in the run of flow in the NBA right now, just period, point blank. Um, what a... Drew Timmy feels like an all-American who almost certainly should go back right now to me. Uh, nothing. That's not a bad thing either. He was no, it's not. going uh, against both UCLA and Baylor. And you touched on it, the size of Cody Riley and then Flo Thamba and Mark Vidal and Everyday John, Chamo Chachua. How'd I do? Nailed it. That's it. Good. They, they made the game difficult. And the, the UCLA game, he finished with 25 points on 11 for 15 shooting, but... Some of those baskets were on Jules Bernard and Jaime Jaquez because of switches and, and foul trouble. Down the other end, Cody Riley really didn't have problems scoring on him. And the rebounding stuff, he only had one double-digit rebound game in the tournament. Like If you're going to not be able to shoot, you want to at least have a guy that's putting up high rebound numbers every game. The finals, definitely on an island defensively. He can't do the mustache dance when you're down 15. And Baylor... I, I will Baylor say this... Four, I, I kind of love it. Like, no, no, that dude is the cockiest player in college basketball. That's just who he is. Like, I feel like every time I watch him, like he's picking dimes up off the ground. Like he's doing the mustache mustache thing. Like, that's just kind of who he is. But like, I feel like he needs to do that to like get into his like flow a little bit. Like, I, I kind of that kind of shit makes me think that he is a real shot to play at the NBA level. You know what? Cause like, cause he's, he's got something to his game. I, I like to joke and say, if he were wearing a Duke Jersey, he would be like an all time hated villain for a hundred percent. What he does. No, and because he just plays kind of like yeah. <laughs> catching up to it. Right. Like, is this the, the mustache guy again? People don't really, really know because Gonzaga, uh, as great of a story as it is, they're on the West coast. So for the casual fans, they weren't really catching up until right. now. Whereas Duke, you see all year, they're playing at 1 o'clock on the major networks, and you hate J.J. Redick or, or Grayson Allen or, or whoever it is. Can, can you imagine like the lines. Matthew Hurt picking up dimes off the ground after Jalen Suggs <laughs> maybe, maybe throws Maybe that's him, the next move, yeah. He, throws he him ball. Throws a mustache, and yeah. I need it. I actually kind of need it in my life. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. Um, no, but like I feel like that confidence, that cockiness that he plays with, like that that's what thinks that's what makes me think he has a real shot to play at the next level. But um I, I would not have him as like a top sixty player right now. I didn't have him as a top sixty player in my most recent board. I, I think it would be smart for him to return to school and 
continue to undergo a natural development process at the end of the day. Yes, and I I try not to put any, I don't want to say too much, any stock into preseason stuff because as people are, are leaving, transferring, declaring for the draft, but they'll, they'll should be slotted toward the top. You're not going to have the, the run-it-back miracle season to start 31-0 and 0 again, but do have a chance to, to be in that kind of final weekend or two of college basketball. Maybe it helps the stock. The, the jumper is going to have to get better. Defensively, he's going to get better. Need to rebound more. But the scoring, when he does get going, and we'll remember the performance he had against Evan Mobley, like there is something there to work with. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, let, let's talk about Baylor and just the way that this roster was built and where they stack up long term. So Baylor is now an NCAA tournament champion at 28 and 2 if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And frankly, probably should be like an undefeated champion. If we're we're going to be honest, like they were an undefeated if if not for COVID, they probably go undefeated, we think, right? I I had that. I said you beat Houston in the final four by 19, Gonzaga in the final by 14 and and probably somewhere in the grandest of grand schemes or maybe some alternate universe. If they don't go on the COVID pause, do they go undefeated? possible it, it took them a little bit to get back to that defensive aggression post pause but when they did i mean it was it was game over yeah um the run that they went on they beat five top 20 ken palm teams by the way um we can quibble about wisconsin and villanova being in the top 20 of ken palm but they had to earn this run like people complain about houston houston was an unbelievable team going into that game like were one of the two or three best teams in the country from February onward. Um, Gonzaga, obviously the best team. Like th- This run was really impressive, I thought, by Baylor, and there was not a game that was really all that close. Like Arkansas kind of brought it back a little bit. Like That game ended up at nine points, but, I mean, Baylor was up 16 in the first half of the first half in that game. Like that, that They took the gas, they took the pedal um, off the gas a little bit in that one um every other game was a double digit win this is one of the most impressive ncaa tournament runs in history i think uh scott drew deserves an immense amount of credit i think and it's interesting to think about the way this roster was built because davion mitchell transfer from auburn macy oteague transfer from uh was it unc Asheville? Asheville. right yeah adam flagler from presbyterian that's three of their like big huge players transfers and then jared butler i mean do you remember the process there it was like a oh late yeah do decommitment it, do it. Yes, from yes. Alabama? I, 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 I fight with someone about this often he was enrolled at alabama in may and then left in august once kyra lewis enrolled so technically that is also a transfer right and they just kind of let him go it feels like right yeah They're like yeah fine sure sounds good yeah which which look again similar to the davion mitchell uh, a mutual parting of sorts where it, it did kind of work out for for both a little bit i mean davion mitchell was on the the final four auburn team didn't he was on that team right uh did he i, I can't remember if that was his sit out year or if he was on that team so i mean and now he's you know, he won a national championship and we're talking about him as a top 10 pick so that played out okay jared yeah. butler national championship played out okay kyra lewis was a lottery pick like played out right. okay for everybody involved and by the way jonathan chamwachachua transfer from unlv unlv yep like this is arguably the first like new era of 
what the portal is going to look like and new era of college basketball roster building champion, I think. Right, right. And, um, and you, Paul Biancardi tweeted after the game, they had no McDonald's All-Americans. And you have, my son screaming, uh, you have these transfer guys and we want to demonize the transfer portal a little bit because it has 1,200 names and more names by the day. But yeah. then we celebrate we celebrate Baylor for what they're able to do right now win a championship built around transfers. Yep. So like somewhere there's got to be a meet in the middle that the transfer thing isn't the worst in the world and we want player freedom, player movement. And yes, does it hurt the, the lower majors where Macy Oteague and Adam Flagler are both all big South freshmen of the year? Sure. But if, if those guys want to seek out greener pastures, like we're not going to knock them for it either. No, totally. And I, I don't think we should. Um, shout out Mark Vital, who committed to Baylor like two decades ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, as like a seventh or eighth grader who he's 24 now. So I think he was still probably 18 at the time. But yeah, to, to <laughs> play that out is impressive as well. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I'm just impressed with this Baylor team. I think that they are probably one of the 10 best teams of the last 20 years, like something like that. Um, you know, if if we're they're they're a top half champion for sure uh, of the last right. 20 years. Um, uh, if Gonzaga had won this game, like uh, see, like it's it's hard because I think Baylor had a very specific, <clears throat> very good matchup on the way that Gonzaga defends the pick and roll in just their overall roster issues with speed. Right, Baylor is an extremely yes. fast team. Gonzaga is still a great team. Like if you go back through the years in terms of like. Ken Palm adjusted efficiency margin. Like, I think that Gonzaga is still like a top two or three team in terms of adjusted efficiency margin um, within the last few years. Like, I think I think they finished at like plus 36 and a half or so. And I mean, like, I- I'm running through the years now. That Kentucky team uh, that went 38 and one with like Devin Booker, Carl Towns, etc. Yeah. Yep. yeah, that team was better. Uh, I believe no, that's it. Like that, that's the only team that was better. According <laughs> that's to it. That's the list. That's the tweet. Yeah, yeah. The, I saw a, a tweet post game from David K, who's Baylor's assistant AD for communication. Uh, I, I'm just going. I'm not going word for word here, but more or less, Baylor led the nation three point shooting at 41. percent In the Big 12, the team could have taken and missed 96 more three pointers and still been first in the league. Like that's incredible. You miss 100 yeah. more shots and you're still first. And we also talked, and maybe a little bit of foreshadowing, uh, a month ago, maybe two months ago, about where Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell fall in this pantheon of best guard pairs ever, maybe the last 20 years, and we got yelled at for a couple of others, and our argument was they had to win the championship to enter the conversation, and here we are. Where are we at? They, 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 had, they, they, they had the run, and, and you're kind of scrolling here. Uh, I also, tongue-in-cheek, we, we had a podcast about, is Baylor better than Gonzaga? And pre-pause, I did think it was Baylor. Post-pause, I did think it was Gonzaga. Two very good teams, and obviously you're going to remember the champion, but Mark Few said it after the game, they Baylor was unbelievable, but can't take away what we also did all year for the run we went on. Yeah, no, no one should. This Gonzaga team is still a genuinely great team within the history of college basketball. This Baylor team is also a genuinely great team within the history of 
college basketball. Like there is both both takes are true and accurate, and I think that's kind of where we leave it with this, right? Yeah, it, that's definitely where we leave it. And the last kind of food for thought topic I'll give you is. Do any programs now change what their recruiting model is based on the success of transfers that Baylor had? Weren't necessarily chasing rankings guys, but more of tough, rugged guys, chip on their shoulder, maybe played a smaller school, want bigger opportunity, as opposed to going after high school kids who may be the top 50, but you know it's going to take time for them to develop. Would you rather just get a, a transfer who may be a little bit more prepared for the college game? Well, A, yes. I think that we're going to see, just by nature of the transfer portal exploding in the way that it has, um, yes, we're, we're going to see more of that, I think. The second part of it is, look, like this Baylor team was built basically in the image of what I love about basketball teams, right? Like, uh, if I was building a team, I would probably build it on fast guards, shooting, perimeter defense and like guys that are super tough like those would be the four things that i would specifically look for when recruiting and building a roster and that's what this baylor team is like i I love everything about it like i I can't really complain like (laughs) yeah like i'd be looking for fast guards who can set the table and who can dribble pass shoot and that's harder to find than you would think right like you go through recruiting every year like that, that shit's hard right yeah doesn't seem like it should be but it is to do all those yes no it is um shooting like shooters are harder to find than you would think too like athletic shooters like those guys don't always exist um guys who can defend the perimeter you can find those pretty easily but it's hard to find guys who can shoot and defend the perimeter at the same time at like an exceedingly high level toughness you can find like you can find the right guys like a mark vital like mark vital was a really what mark vital was like a four-star recruit wasn't he yeah yeah, no, he was yeah, probably like, top 100-ish, yeah. Yeah, like, we don't think of him like that now, but, like, Mark Vital was, what, probably, like, the third biggest recruit on this team back when yeah, he was yeah. a recruit 97 years right, ago? Right, at the time, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, this is how I would build my roster. So, I, I think we're, like, preaching – it's it's preaching to the choir on some level, you know what I mean? Sure, and and as a coach, I would like it, too, that the, the losses they lost at – kansas on senior night and oklahoma state in the big 12 tournament the losses do help kind of create this this manufactured beef too, this artificial us against them thing where illinois was doing it early in the year with like the wind shares and we really won the big 10 it's like you guys are fourth in the country like what are you making up stuff but hopefully that was a a motivating piece and from a, a build from a roster everything you said and then the play that, that stands out to me, which may sound like a little bit crazy, they're good for like a winning player to a game with a guy diving out of bounds for a save. And last night it was Macy Oteague. He, he dives out of bounds, saves it, recovers for a closeout, cross court, didn't block the shot, he closed out and the guy missed. Like those are the type of, of winning actions that, that also separate too. Yep. Um, okay, Penny, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make this a two-part podcast. We're going to split this up. We're just going to cut it here. This is going to be the first part of the podcast. Um, this will get released today on Tuesday in America. On Thursday, we'll release the second half of this podcast that we're going to record. Um, Penny, tell the people where they can find your work real quick. <laughs> part one. Uh, find me on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. Uh, we're there. Tournament's over. We're still rocking. Okay. <clears throat> Go to The Athletic. You know, Do all that stuff. 
shout out the sponsors. We will be back um, in two days with the second part of this podcast, which went too long because Penny and I decided to bite off more than we could chew. Um, it'll be the part where we talk about draft declarations, the portal, and uh, recruiting stories with Penny. But until next time, we'll talk soon.